0: You know what? This has already been a great Easter for me, and I haven't said anything yet. (laughs) And I got to tell you why, because two years ago, I was standing here in an empty room preaching to a camera, and there wasn't a single person here, except for those who were doing the stuff in the back. And last year, I showed up on Sunday morning for our Easter service, which was outside, and I was concerned we were going to be burned out before we ever started. Because there were literally somewhere between 50 and 100 hours of volunteer work that was put in just to get ready for an outdoor service before we ever started. And today, it feels like normal. And I just really pray that this will be just a great morning for us as we hear what God wants to say to us about the day that changed everything, the very first Easter when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, the day that put the good and the good news of the gospel the day that kind of put the exclamation point on the fact that we really can be forgiven, that our past can be removed from us, we can be dict- life can be dictated by our future, by God's grace, that we can be people who have the presence of God living within us. We can have a new purpose in our lives, and our destination for eternity is heaven. I mean, that's good news, and the resurrection put all of the good in the good news I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Easter is really the dividing line in human history. I mean, we refer to everything before the life of Christ as BC, correct? And then everything after Christ is AD, year of our Lord. Jesus Christ really is the His life and His resurrection is the point, is the defining point, the turning point of human history. You know, and, and think about it for just a minute. Just how significant this day is. Jesus didn't write any books that we still have. He didn't give us any artwork to go look at. He didn't leave us any songs to sing. He, he never traveled as an adult, right? When he was a kid, he went to Egypt, right? We don't know how, exactly how far where they went in Egypt, but, but as an adult, he never traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown. He picked out an odd group of people to be his proponents. You would not have picked the 12 disciples, especially Judas, (laughs) if you were really out to change the world. And yet somehow or another, when you look at all of that, today, 2.2 billion people on the planet claim to be Christians. A third of the population. Here was a guy who never traveled outside of a 100-mile radius, but his life changed the world. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected. What, what puts the power, the good, in the good news is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and it, it's had a tremendous impact on our own nation. You know, today in America, well over 200 million people will claim to be Christians. This is out of a population of about 330 million, give or take or so, but over 200 million people will claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And it shows the lasting power of the good in the good news because Jesus was resurrected. But I got to tell you, one of the things that, that I look at When I think about the impact that Jesus has had, and see how many people in our own nation are claiming to be followers of Christ, I often wonder if our response to the resurrection is actually adequate. Is it really adequate? You know, we 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 think about a lot of different things related to the resurrection, right? And we and we think about, you know, I think about even our own congregation. You know, it feels great to have a room that is full on Easter Sunday. It really does. But we, And we're celebrating our 20th anniversary as a congregation. It was April 2002 when we had our very first service, and there were only four or five of us who were really committed to trying to make in this, see what God would do in this ministry. And here we are 20 years later, and when we walk through our database, there are over 4,000 names that we've had some kind of connection with. In that journey, now some of them came to Vacation Bible School and they go to other churches and all that kind of stuff. But somewhere in the midst of there's a lot of people who have encountered the good in the good news, have learned about this Christ who has been resurrected, and yet somehow or another, it's never really stuck. And so, I want to talk to us today out of the passage of Scripture that Steve shared with us just a minute ago. I want to talk to us about what is the appropriate response to the resurrection. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 20 with us. If you didn't bring one, that's fine. There's a Bible underneath your chair, and you're going to find our text today on page 963. 963 if you're using one of those in there. And I I want to look at three different responses. I want to look at Mary. I want to look at Peter. And I want to look at John. And, and as we look through these, I, I just want to remind us up front, there, in, in the case of Mary and Peter, their initial response is going to be inadequate, but there is always grace to change your response to an adequate response, and we're going to see that in John, and it's lived out in the life of Mary and of Peter, and for those of us who are here today, I... I What I'm really trying to, to, just my prayer has been for those of us who have an inadequate response, I pray that God would speak to us today so that we actually move to an appropriate response to the resurrection. And for those of us who are already living in the wake of an appropriate response to the resurrection, I pray that our commitment will grow and deepen as we move forward. Now, I'm not going to take the time to reread all of this. For us today, I am going to look back at some passages of scriptures, right? So we have accounts of the resurrection morning in all four of the Gospels, and I'm going to draw from them just a little bit, but today we're looking at John chapter 20. One of the reasons we're in the Gospel of John today is that we've been doing a series, and this is kind of like the, the last installment of a series called Closing Council, and you can look at it online, et cetera, and I encourage you to do so, but we look at this passage of scripture, and and it's Sunday morning, right? Jesus had died on Friday afternoon. They scrambled to get him in the tomb before the Sabbath started. And then they had to wait. They had to wait. You had this loving group of women who had to wait before they could go and do what they really wanted to do to honor this one that they cared so much about, this one that, that had done so much for them during his lifetime. They wanted to get there. So as soon as it was possible... To safely travel to the tomb, these ladies head out. Now, in the Gospel of John, we're only told about Mary Magdalene, but there are other ladies who were with them. And what happens when they get to the tomb? The Scripture tells us in verse 1, on the very first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that that the stone had been removed from the tomb so she went running to Simon Peter, and, and to John, it tells us, and w- whom is the disciple, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And they said, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we do not we- know where they have put him. Mary arrives at the tomb, and, and there's a, the, the, it's, believe it or not, you're going to see in this text, there are three different words for the idea of see. And this is the, the, just the general word called blepo. She She arrives there. With these other ladies, and they look at the tomb, and they see the tomb, is, it, it, the stone is empty. They can tell there's no body inside of there. While the other ladies stay there, she runs back to Peter and John. And, and what we see is that she's just reacting instinctively to what she has seen. She, she's taken all of her experience, everything she knows about how life really works, and she says, the only explanation that fits this, the assumptions that drive her to a conclusion are that the only explanation that fits this is that they've stolen Jesus' body and taken it somewhere. And and I think one of the responses we often have to the resurrection is we respond to it in a reactionary kind of way. It's it's like we we, we respond to it with our assumptions. Listen, dead people just don't. Arise. That only happens in movies, right? You know, the the storybook ending of the martyr being resurrected, that only happens in movies. That's not what happens in real life. In all of the circumstances, all of the past experiences, the midst of all of her emotion where she can't even recognize Jesus when she finally meets him in the garden, all this is just pouring in and she just immediately jumps to this conclusion that they've stolen his body. And it's gone. And that's what some of us will do today. We'll hear this story and we'll say, you know, that's a nice thought. But that's just not reality. That's not truth. We look at everything that we can touch and feel, what all of our experiences tell us, all the funerals that we've been to in our lifetime, and we say, this is just not what happens. When our initial reaction... Of just assuming away the resurrection of Christ continues. We call that skepticism, and in some ways, God's okay with skepticism. If you read through all the gospel accounts, if you fall down even through the end of the Gospel of John's chapter twenty, you will see that God's not afraid with dealing with our skepticism, which is just doubt the, reaction, the reality of all of this. We see it particularly, right, in Thomas. After, as you read through this text and you get past verse eighteen. Jesus appears to the disciples. Judas is out of the picture already. There's 10 there. Thomas isn't present. And Thomas eventually reengages with the people after Jesus has departed. And he says to them, you know what? Unless I see him for myself, unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands, I am not going to believe. His doubt lingers, right? His assumption that this kind of stuff just doesn't happen Continues and yet Jesus isn't afraid of it. When he arrives again and Thomas is present, he says, Thomas, go ahead. Have a touch. Oh, that one's got ink on it from this morning. Put this hand out. Go ahead, Thomas. <laughs> Have a touch. Have a touch. And and he's he's willing to deal with our doubts. In fact, I would encourage you, if you are not a follower of Christ, you don't really believe in the resurrection, I would tell you to challenge your doubts. God can handle those. But here's the thing I would say to you, is just make sure that you're truly open-minded. Because that sometimes our skepticism is, is really just permanent denial masquerading as intellectual questioning. And, and the example I would give you, and it's not in the Gospel of John, but it comes out of Matthew chapter 28, when when the guards who were supposed to secure the tomb wake, wake up in the morning, quote unquote, because they really weren't asleep, because uh, and when they're when they're overwhelmed by the angel and Jesus departs, they run to the Jewish authorities, and what do they tell them? Listen, this is what happened. Right? We, we were there. We were guarding the tomb, and Thunder and earthquakes and et cetera, and the tomb, the, stone, tomb is, the stone is moved, and Jesus, and he's just not there anymore. And, and no matter what level of evidence that they are provided, what do the Jewish authorities do? They, they say, you know what, here's some money. Just keep your mouth shut. And we've got connections so that if this gets to be investigated and you guys might get dishonorably discharged or worse, we'll take care of you. And it's just this form of permanent denial that goes on. And one of our, one of our reactions sometimes to the, to the good news of the gospel, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is simply to say, you know what, that, that sounds all great and they got it all worked out, but that just, our assumptions, that stuff just can't be true. And that's one of the reactions we have to the gospel, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then we have Peter. Mary Magdalene runs back. She talks to the disciples. You know, to tell you the truth, I don't know what's up with the other nine guys, right? If I, if I had been there and they show up and say, hey, his body's gone, I would have been out there with those guys, even if I had to call an Uber instead of running like those guys. You know, and Peter and John, they take off running to the tomb, and we can tell here that John is in better shape than Peter because John gets there before Peter. And John gets there, and the, tomb, the stone is moved, and he takes a look in, and he backs away, and eventually Peter shows up, <gasps> and he finally gets there. I'm just making all that stuff up, embellishing a little bit, <laughs> and Peter steps inside, and and the, and the word the word it says, and he looks around, he sees what's in the tomb, and the word that it's actually the word the which is, we get the word theorize out of, right? But it's it's really, the, the term they kind of use, is like being a spectator at a sporting event. You know, you're watching it, but you're not really engaged. You're not really participating, right? So Peter steps into the tomb, and he looks around, and he sees the linen cloth that's lying there, just like the body evaporated, and it just dropped. And then there's the cloth that was over his face that's, which, that's folded up in a corner, and he's looking at all this stuff, and for him it's just, He's just looking at it. He sees it, but he doesn't really understand it, nor is he really trying to understand it. You know, and, and so it's just this casual observation of what's going on. You know, I, just to illustrate the difference between really paying attention and trying to figure it all out. Right? So when, when our kids were playing high school baseball and then one of them played college baseball, when I couldn't make a game and my wife was at the game, I would drive her crazy. Right? So, you know, she typed, he's about ready to hit, right? And so I'd, I'd you know, and, she, and then I'd follow up with her afterwards. I said, well, you know, she said, yeah, he got a single. I'm like, well, where did he hit it? <laughs> How far in the outfield was it? You know, <laughs> did he hit it to the right? And she's like, I don't know, he just got a single. <laughs> right? And, and, so, and, and, and that's Peter. Peter walks into the tomb, he looks around, he's amazed by what he sees, he's pleased, but you notice we don't see the same response, the same statement as we see about John that he saw and he believed. Peter just sees, and he, and he leaves it open, if you will, and, and, and I, many of us have this, this response to the message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, where we we kind of observe it, we we, we consider it, but we don't actually ever draw any conclusions about it. We just kind of let it sit there. I mean, there might be many in this room this morning or just in that category you know i yeah, you know, my grandparents really are into church or my parents are or a friend of mine or my spouse or whatever or or you know I'd like for my kids to have some foundation, but you know for me, you know it sounds great, but you know I'm still thinking about it, I'm still thinking about it and and we're a lot like peter listen it's not it's not uncommon that's what the guys on the on the road to Emmaus if some of you are familiar with Luke's account. We are, we read that on the latter part of the very first Sunday, there were a couple of guys who were in Jerusalem who were connected to Jesus's following that decided to head home. And as they headed home, um, they were joined by somebody, and it was Jesus. And and, and and they're and they're talking about what's going on. Jesus said, Well, what are you talking about? And they start laying out all that they knew about what had transpired over the holy weekend. And yet in the midst of all of that, including the testimony that the Lord had been resurrected and he had been seen by others, they had not drawn a conclusion yet. And it wasn't until later in the day when Jesus actually broke bread with them that they understood. And And one of my challenges to us today, and I I think there's a lot of this in the church today, where what, yeah, we're open to it, it sounds great, et cetera, but there's other things, and we just kind of wander around, and we don't actually get to a place where we say, I'm in, I'm all in. We want to keep our options open. Yeah, I love the idea of resurrection and heaven and eternal life when I'm thinking about my own mortality and et cetera. But when it comes to the way I want to do the rest of my life, you know, there's a lot of parts in there I don't really like that much. And we just want to kind of play our options open. We want to casually observe without really committing. Just like Peter observed what was going on, but there really wasn't any change yet in his faith. And then there's John. John gets there. He arrives before Peter. He steps in and he looks around. And he steps back out and he's thinking. Right? And and the word that's here means the idea of he he discerns, he understands, he sees, he perceives. You know, he's standing outside and said, You know, what I just saw in there doesn't make any sense to me. If if somebody was going to rob a grave, why would they leave everything that's valuable behind? I mean, the value was in the linen, right? Remember Joseph of Arimathea was the one to provide the tome. We had some other stuff that had gone in there. And, and, and so Jesus, and the value was in the cloth. It was actually one of the major forms of investment in the ancient world was to buy clothes because they had, they had tremendous lasting value. And, and, and they, why would somebody rob the grave and leave the most valuable possession behind? The spices, right? We, we see other stories in the, in the Gospels where, where a woman pours out a perfume on Jesus and she gets reprimanded because it was worth a lot. Why would they leave the spices behind if they were robbing? It doesn't make any sense. John's saying, like, what is going on here? And why, why is the cloth laid that way? And why would they steal the body naked anyways? That would make it even more conspicuous what they were doing. Why, why would they do these things? And he's thinking it through. And when he steps back in and he looks again and he puts all the pieces together, the scripture says he believes. And one of the third responses to what, for Easter for us, To the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For for some of us, we just just respond to it with our assumptions. We don't really want to think it through. It's just, it's too good. It's nice fairy tale, that kind of stuff, and, and we'll just we'll just take it as a part of our society. Others know all the facts, but not sure they really want to go all in committing. John, he looks, he understands, and he believes. That is the appropriate response to Easter, is to look at it, to see it, to understand it, and to believe. Now, listen, I I could give you lots of reasons why the resurrection makes sense. I could give you, I mean, you could just look at it, if within 40 days of the death of Jesus, the early church is going to start creating problems for the Jewish authorities. With all the resources at their disposal, why would they not produce the body? They could just nip the whole thing, right? Just put a stop to it. They they had enough power. They had enough money. They could torture people, bribe people. They could do anything. They could find out what happened, and they would know where the body is, and they could produce it. It might not have looked great. might not have spelled it, but they could have put an end to it, but they couldn't. Because you know where the body was? It was already in heaven, ascended. I mean, this story just doesn't make any sense to so many different levels if you were going to make it up. I mean, we, we think about bodily resurrection and eternity for the individual. That was not even on the radar in the ancient world. I mean my son is a is a polling is into polling for politics and they're trying to figure out the messaging that will actually work with the electorate right that's that's what he does and, and th- this was not a messaging topic that would come up at any poll and yet this is what they based the faith on and then the people who who were the the witnesses i mean Women weren't even allowed to testify in court. You wouldn't make this stuff up. And I could go run down, right on down the stu- line. And it's really interesting to me, and, and, and I'll move to a conclusion here. What's really interesting to me is that sometimes we're willing to take leaps of faith, but when it comes to belief in a creator who has come to us in the person of his son and has personally redeemed us, and has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us that we won't take a leap of faith. We can listen to all the things that we, we hear in the world and we're, you know about evolution and the Big Bang Theory, or whatever, but when it comes to that moment, to say, well, when, when do we go from there being nothing to being something? Well, so we need to find that God particle, and we're willing to take that leap of faith, but when it comes over to the fact that there's so much in our world that tells us that this was engineered by somebody, We can't believe in a loving God who has come to us and can overturn the laws of physics and of life and death and can come up out of the grave so that you and I can have the good in the good news of the gospel. Nobody can determine your response to the resurrection except yourself. This is not something that your spouse can do for you. It's not something your kids can do for you. It's not something your parents can do for you. It's not something your boss can do for you at work. This is Every single one of these people had to make their own decision on how they were going to respond to the good news of the resurrection. Mary and Peter at the beginning, their response was inadequate. But it wasn't too long into the journey that theirs matched John's. And it was an adequate response, the correct response, the life-changing response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what I invite you to do today: to understand and to commit. To move out of that phase where you, well, let me think about it. Just to move to where you understand and you commit that you believe. And that response to the resurrection. Somewhere along the line, it has to take the pathway of acknowledging the fact that I need to be forgiven because I'm a sinner. That takes into place Good Friday. Then it needs to inquire belief. John saw and he believed. We have to believe that Jesus is God's son who stepped out of heaven, became one of us, so that he could be that bridge between us and the Father, so that you and I can have eternal life. We have to believe. And somewhere in there, through prayer, we have to confess our faith in Christ and commit to following after him. And today, my prayer for you is that your response to the resurrection would be adequate in the eyes of God. And if that's a step that you've never taken before, I invite you to do that today. We have a, a special resource we'd love to give you. You can just see me or Steve out in the lobby, and we'll get that into your hands and et cetera. We, we just want you to launch well in this new journey. As you leave the empty tomb, that you've got the right tools to be able to live out that gift. For those of you who said, you know, I'm already, I, I'm where John was. I ask you today to renew your commitment to following after Christ. Let's pray together. Father today I simply ask that all of us who are on this room or in this room or watching online we would stop seeking the living among the dead. Father that we would understand That we're not trying to master an idea, but we're trying to build a relationship with a Savior who has been resurrected. Father, give us an adequate, overwhelming, sufficient response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To see, to understand, and to commit. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.